This is Play by Playcast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play by play guys. For play by play guys, by I'm told, a play by play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now, here's the host of Play by Playcast, Todd Bodet. <laughs> Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay. Here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. All right, welcome back into the podcast. Thanks, as always, for the subscribe, stream, and download, however you're tuning in to us today. My name, of course, is Joel Godet. I'm the television and radio play-by-play voice of the Ball State University Cardinals. And this right here is the podcast about play-by-play broadcasters for play-by-play broadcasters hosted by a play-by-play broadcaster professional development podcast that dives into the tips, tricks, experience, process, stories, and preparation of some of the biggest and best play-by-play announcers in the business. Find us on social media at PXPCast. I'm at Joel Godet, or you can email me, J-G-O-D-E-T-T at B-S-U dot E-D-U. Our guest today is uh, the voice for four decades of the Wichita State Shockers, Mike Kennedy. And we'll get to Mike here in just a second. Uh, Quick side note. Before we dive into it, because I've mentioned it a couple of times on the pod, and I wanted to give you guys an update. Kevin Brown of ESPN was on the podcast uh, way back on episode number 68. If you want to scroll all the way back through and find it, uh, our complete archives, as always, are uh, at your fingertips. Uh, One of the things Kevin talked about was taking improv classes. He took an improv class, and when he said that, I was like, you know what? That's something I would be interested in doing too. And I think maybe in some way it would help on-air performance. Well, uh, I've been taking improv classes for the last almost two months now. Uh, every Sunday for a couple of hours, I go downtown Indianapolis and, and uh, have learned how to improv with some people. And a couple quick things that I'll hit you with off the top that are uh, most applicable Number one, uh, it, it does help you think faster. Like, I'll, I'll give you that. And, and, and it helps you think outside the box faster as well. Uh, ways to see things differently. Ways to just... How to interpret movement differently. Things like that. And, and that helps. As silly as that might sound. At face value. It helps. But number two, and I think this one is most important... The, the principle, the number one principle of improvisation is something they call yes and. You always continue a scene by yes anding whoever you're working with. So if somebody says something and you don't know where to go with it, you say yes and, and then you build on top of that. And when you think about play-by-play, particularly when it comes to working with an analyst, if you can yes and your analyst that'll give you a pretty good place to go to build off of things that they say, to drive conversation, to help them continue to make their point, um, to drive them further down a street you want to continue on. Uh, Instead of just letting an analyst point hang or dangle or die, and you just go in a different direction, you yes-end your analyst as best you can. They say something, you go, yes, and this, or yes, and maybe this, and kind of ask it as a question, 
think about it in those terms. Uh, one of the, the chief principles of improvisation, yes and, and uh, that is has been something that's, I think, stuck with me and is uh, most applicable when it comes to what we do on a uh, game-in and game-out basis. So I just wanted to give you that uh, quick little update of where the the improv classes have gone for me if you would like to try that out uh, just give it a little google search wherever you live check out improv classes there's a whole bunch of them um where i live you just find different organizations that work within your schedule whatnot uh but it's a lot of fun gives you a good friend group uh helps you think on your feet and uh teach you how to yes and (laughs) people which could work to your benefit on a broadcast. All right, let's get into the pod today with Mike Kennedy. Four decades as the voice. I mean, four decades. Like, I've been alive for three. So he's had the same job for four. <laughs> Think about that for a second. Um, Mike Kennedy has been for four decades the voice of the Wichita State Shockers, and he's a graduate of Wichita State, too. He's been there for a very long time. Uh, he's broadcast a College World Series, he's broadcast a Final Four. Uh, he's, when he was a student, was a news reporter on a, a terribly tragic news situation that we'll get into as well. He has done a lot and seen a lot as it comes to Wichita State history as a university and as an athletic department. So we'll talk a little bit about the changes in the field in his career. We'll also talk about what it's like to be on the, the largest stages, broadcast games, Final Four, College World Series, all that. Um, He has an interesting job in that Wichita doesn't have football. So he does football, baseball, and women's volleyball on the radio. Those are his broadcasting assignments. So we'll touch on what it's like to have those particular assignments and broadcasting volleyball. And uh, he is also unique in that he went to school for voice. We talk a lot on this podcast about vocal performance, voice coaches. We did it a ton last week with Jordan Burnfield. Um... He was a voice major in college, so we'll touch on voice and using your instrument because it truly is that. Um, This interview was done courtside during a basketball game. Uh, It comes from Charleston when Ball State men's basketball was in the Charleston Classic. Wichita State was on the other side of the bracket, and after Ball State played and before Wichita played, and while Alabama was playing, uh, Mike and I sat courtside and recorded this. So you will hear some background noise of a basketball game going on. Um, pay that no attention uh, because the, the interesting stuff, hopefully, is what you'll hear uh, dialogue-wise from myself and Mike Kennedy right here on episode number 130? 130 of Play by Play Cast with Mike Kennedy from Wichita State. First off, how long have you been at Wichita State? Well, this as, is as a professional. This is my 39th year full time, and uh, for about four years before that, did a few games when there was it was a radio TV combo, and I did the games on radio that were televised. So I've never asked this question to anybody on this podcast. I don't know why. Uh, what's it like to be in the same place for 39 years? And I guess it goes back, obviously, because you were a student before then. But in your role professionally at Wichita State for for four decades, what's that perspective like? Well, I think that's the first thing, is that it gives you some perspective. You have a little sense of the history, and you've seen the ups and downs and and kind of known what the progression has been. 
And for me, the, the thing, the longer you're in this, the thing that really stays with your relationships. And I've had a chance to develop a lot of those over time. And, and certainly there's turnover and coaching and whatever. But you have players coming back that played, you know, a couple of decades ago. And we've even had kids of student athletes when I started that have played at Wichita State. And that's, that's been a really fun thing to be part of. How has it changed <laughs> That's a loaded question, but uh, and I guess you can take that from two two perspectives. But from a a craft and a business and a radio side, how is how is what you do um, just as a broadcaster changed in forty years? You know, back when I started doing Wichita State, we would have to get a hold of, like, say, the sports information director at the team you're playing next, and have them mail their stats to you. <laughs> And, uh, and then the fax machines came along. You know, that's been the big thing. I'm a stat guy. I, I do a lot of preparation to be able to just get on the Internet and find anything you need to find, box scores, whatever it may be, uh, game notes at whatever point you want to look through them. Uh, that's been the biggest thing for me. And, and being able to follow other broadcasts and just all kinds of things that give you a, a much better opportunity to do your job well. You know, I think about that now, and I was listening. You were on The Voice Behind The Voice um, with Sean Aronson. He was asking you about when you were a student and you were covering the plane crash at Wichita State and how you went about covering that. And it, 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 it like blows my mind how, in some senses, spoiled we are nowadays because you were talking about, well, you had to call this person and confirm that something had actually happened. Right. And nowadays you would just open up Twitter. Uh, what did you have to do from a reporting standpoint, when you were getting into this business, uh, how did it make you better for doing that and having that background when you reflect on it? Well, I think one thing that it made you do that, that's always valuable is develop sources, if you will, and learn how to ask the right kind of questions. Which and is even, hard. Yeah, and sometimes even, uh, you know, if you can get somebody to say, if I ask you this, will I be wrong? You know, that, <laughs> that type of thing. Uh so that it was a good learning process from that, and I think some of those things are still things that you need to be able to do once in a while. What's that like in terms of like sitting in that situation? Like this might sound like a basic, rudimentary question, but when you hear something like that happen, who do you call, and how do you how do you go about tracing that? as a reporter, if you can kind of take me back into the shoes of that time, that era, and a story of that magnitude. Well, and I was hardly a seasoned reporter yeah. at that point. I'm a college student. That was the first year that I had really been doing much of anything at the campus station. One thing that we knew was that there had been two planes that had left with the team. And so the first thing I did was I went over to the administration building to see if I could find out anything about which, if they knew which plane, if they had a list of who was on which plane, which for the most part they didn't. We didn't gain a whole lot out of that. And That was my first reaction. Yeah. I was like, well, okay, well, I, I can't imagine you're going to get a ton from that, or even if they knew whether or not right. they would tell sure, you. of course. So it's like, where's your next lead in that, in that story? Yeah. From that point on, honestly, we just had to kind of go with what the wire services reported and so forth because there, there wasn't really, you know, anybody we could contact. We didn't know who to contact in Colorado or whatever. You know, now, uh, you know, there, there would probably be things you'd look at and say, you know, I'll bet that's somebody we could get a hold of. But, but then there really wasn't much opportunity. As a guy who does a lot of homework, we talk a lot about preparation on this pod. Uh, tell me what you do from a preparation standpoint. What is your essential, and, and how do you approach blank slate game? You need to know what. Well, I start with 
the roster. And actually, the first thing I'll do once teams have played is look at the stat sheet to see who's played or who's playing so that if, if there's somebody that might be redshirting or whatever, if it's real early, I might still include that person on the, you know, on the chart just in case. No surprises. <laughs> <Yeah>. But uh, <laughs> start with that. I'll get the basic background stuff. Like, like we play in the game coming up today, Davidson. But I've already done the basic background stuff on Purdue and Appalachian State so that uh, my prep time is, is somewhat less once they've played and we've played, we know we're playing, that type of thing. I won't do the four teams from your bracket because we've got a day in between on Saturday where you can find out who it is. And but uh, that's but a that's, lot of team for three teams. You're not going to see. Yeah. But but that's kind of how I start. And uh, and I've I've got a form. I've got a basic format, a file that I follow with everybody. Uh, with Wichita State, it's more detailed. I've got career highs and all those kinds of things. With opposing teams, I may not necessarily have all of that, but you look for streaks and trends and, and interesting bits of information. You know, so-and-so's mother played at Jackson State or uh, what was the one? I, oh, there's uh, one of the guys with uh, Purdue. His father was Lou Stefanovich, who played at Illinois State in our league in the Missouri Valley Conference, was a second-team all-conference player back early in my, my broadcasting career. So that kind of stuff I think people find interesting. I was like, what kind of things do you like? Like, are there, are there certain nuggets? Like, I love interesting majors. I just think it's cool when, like, this guy's a studio art major. Yeah. What, yeah. what types of things stand out to you that – how do you color a broadcast? What makes it come to life? I think, you know, I guess I kind of, I'm kind of a sports junkie, so I kind of look for the things that would interest me. Uh, and, you know, I love the stuff like on ESPN, where this is the first time this has happened in 35 years. Or that I always want to know that kind of stuff. And so uh, I, I look for that. We've got a really good SID for men's basketball who's kind of in that same mindset. And so sometimes something will come up, and I'll go, you know, I have no idea where to look right now for when the last time this was. And he'll usually have it for me. But I, I love that kind of stuff. Did you create your own chart system? I did, and I and you know, like anybody starting out when you're young, it's sort of trial and error. It was pretty basic, pretty simple at the beginning, and then I started realizing ways I could add more. And I type in really small type, and my eyes are still good, so I can get a lot on a page or a legal size page or whatever. So we're sitting next to my analyst, David. How you can tell you my my type fonts are like four point, and sometimes <laughs> like I'm getting to a day where I'm going to need my 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 cheaters to to take a look at them. Um, tell me about what you like in a broadcast too beyond you know preparation wise and what you go in prepared with if you flip on a game you say this sounds good when you hear what well first of all if it's radio I, you know i listen for the description are they telling me can i picture the ball on the floor and, and what's going on with the play and as far as analysis i like to hear you know why that developed the way it did or or whatever and then you know uh guy makes three straight free throws and I like to hear you know he'd been one for his last 10 so obviously he spent some time in the gym or, or those kinds of things those you know anything that just gives you a better sense of of those teams tell you what I don't like and I, I hear it all the time on network tv is guys talking about their top 10 players in the country and and where they had dinner and <laughs> what's going on in the NFL. I, I turned into this game to watch this, this game, game and these teams. This is what I want to know about. Not all this other stuff in Europe. It's not a talk show. It, you know, it's it's a ball game. And you kind of owe it to the kids that are playing in <laughs> sure, some respects, right? I, I think so. 
uh, how do you keep up with the pace of the game, and how do you pace yourself? Obviously, you, you can't call every pass, and stuff happens so quickly. Do you have any tips or tricks in terms of how you stay on top of the ball whipping around the court? Well, for the most part, in basketball, I think you can. I do, I do Wichita State women's volleyball, and that you absolutely cannot call every touch and every pass. But, uh, you know, as much as you can, I think you do. But you also kind of learn, as you've done it over the years, where you can be behind just slightly uh, because you can see what's developing. You can see a shot's not going to go up immediately, so I can be a you know half second behind the the pass or whatever. So some of some of it's just that you try to describe as much as you can. I one of the things that I've I've tried to do over the years, years and years ago, I was reading something in Sports Illustrated was was talking about Chick Hearn, the legendary Lakers announcer, and it had a little transcript of. One of his brothers, and he's saying, "You know, ball goes to the wing to so and so, and and so and so screening for so and so." And I thought, you know what? That's that's good stuff. If I can try to mix in what's happening off the ball, if it the, if the play's kind of stagnant for a second, I think that adds to it also. So those are things that I try to look forward to do. How much are you able to look off ball sometimes? And like I'll lean on David sitting here again. You know, I'll lean on him a lot sometimes to notice how defenses are lined up, what is happening over here, how they're attacking this. And I've done a lot of games solo as I've come up in my career, too. And it's one of those things where it's like, I, I just, you feel overwhelmed to analyze what is happening beyond the singular, this guy and the guy who's guarding him. Uh, what's your trick for taking your eyes elsewhere and making sure you see that full picture? To some degree, it's what you can see in your peripheral vision. I mean, if you, you, you don't want to be looking away from the play too much to look for stuff. And, and I, I think that's a key too is having a really good analyst and I've been blessed to have those over the years and so uh, you know I, you can see somebody set a really good screen but you didn't you don't have time to see who it was and they'll say that was so and so it set a good cross screen there to open him up you know, that kind of stuff that that's helpful but you just try to see within the, the periphery of your vision around the play what else might be going on how much of a basketball junkie uh, have you become in some ways too and how does that work into the broadcast um, in terms of being able to describe a picture, not stepping on your analyst's toes, and also not making it too convoluted so that the listener gets lost in what you're saying? That's a good question because there is that tendency, if you get to know the game, you, you want to go on beyond describing and say too much. And I've tried to just catch myself and, you know, and uh, the lob for the dunk and then just shut up to let the analyst get in and say, hey, they ran a back screen for so, you know, that kind of thing. How much is it important for us as play-by-play -play guys to know some of that? Or is sometimes ignorance bliss in terms of the functionality of what you're seeing and just call the nuts and bolts and let the rest of that fall to the guy who's there to help you? Honestly, I think the more you know, whether you even say it all or not, I think the more you know, it just gives you perspective as to how difficult a play was that. Or, you know, if you've watched the team practice or you've watched the shoot-around that day, you know that that's something they worked on or that was a that was a play that they really ran to perfection because you've seen them work on it. So I think it is good to know that stuff. Let me ask you about the instrument that we use in this as well, um, because it truly is an instrument, and you were trained as an instrument um, <laughs> in terms of uh, using your voice, you went to college for this. I did. Um, how do you approach the, the physical broadcasting aspect of it, maybe differently than some other people uh, that don't have that background? You know, anymore, I don't even think about it. And <laughs> the big thing is, I, you know, one of the things I learned when I was a music major was that uh, was just kind of how to take care of your voice because, you know, we all have spells where you maybe get a little bit of a cold or something. And so just, you know, knowing how to kind of protect it and take care of it a little bit. Uh, but other than that, I don't, 
I don't think that much about delivery or those kinds of things. It's something that's just kind of developed over time, I guess. What are the secrets to taking care of it? Uh, you know, uh, hot tea and lemon is a is a good uh, anecdote antidote for getting a little bit of a sore throat. Or that was that was something my voice teacher in college taught me. I don't resort to that too often. Lozenges once in a while, but uh, and you know, not. Uh, I'm not a screamer, so I don't get too carried away with overusing. I certainly, I get excited, and, and the levels go up, of course. But I, uh, just kind of, and, and actually knowing how to, to speak from the diaphragm, that's something you learn in singing where you, don't, you aren't straining through your throat all the time. That would be the big one, I guess. Well, let's talk about that a little bit, just from points of performance, because like I, somebody recommended I should take voice classes at some point several years ago, and I did, and I went and took singing lessons. And it's one of those things that it's, like, it's hard to do initially because you just... I don't want to say you don't naturally breathe that way because I'm like I don't know how you naturally breathe, but when you when you don't like you feel like you feel fat because like I got to breathe <laughs> my diaphragm, your whole gut hangs out, like, and it's a real real uncomfortable feeling. Uh, how do you get comfortable breathing correctly, using your instrument correctly? How long a process is that? You know, one I had a great voice teacher in college, uh, and. One of the things that he taught was, you know, in singing, if you have a higher pass, you tend to reach for the notes and you tend to strain. And he had an exercise you do where you have two, two uh, beads on a string, two strings, and you walk along that line of string, pushing those beads on an even. So you sing through the phrase doing that, and you don't reach. And so that's part of, part, you know, things like that just kind of taught me how, you know, how it feels to just naturally let things flow through the diaphragm. And, and like I say, I've done it for so long, I guess, that I don't even think about it It anymore. just becomes old hat? Yeah. Do you still sing? They, they have more or less forced me to sing Take Me Out to the Ball Game during the seventh inning stretch of Shocker baseball games. I've done that for years. That's about it, other than I'll sing along with, you know, with songs that I love. They, from the they don't old get days. you to do the anthem? No, that, that happened one time <laughs> on a dare, and I, had to, I couldn't back down, so I did it. It was, it was just good enough. I think it surprised people that it wasn't terrible, and so I got by with it. As you can say, is it one of those things people know about, or is it like, here's Mike for the national anthem, and all of a sudden, like, wow, okay. Yeah, I don't think anymore any, many people know that. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, that's <laughs> part of my past for the most part. <laughs> Tell me about some of the places that Wichita State has taken you as a broadcaster. Um, one of the things we always like to talk about on here is broadcasting it at different levels and different massive stages. You have had the honor of broadcasting a Final Four. Uh, what is it like, first and foremost, to broadcast a Final Four? That's a pretty incredible experience. As far as once you get seated to actually do the game, uh, it was it wasn't great. I mean, you the we were at uh, where were you for we that? We were in too? Atlanta. Well, I mean, like physically. Well, we were kind of to about the free throw line that went into the floor, but we sat a little bit below the the level of the floor, which is kind of and I've done that at Vanderbilt, and it, it but it's a little different and it's a little different perspective. Um, and there's just so many people, but just also being part of something that large, that massive, was just beyond my expectation. They have, you know, a day where all four teams have basically a glorified shoot-around, a public practice where they have to be there on the court. And there were probably 30,000 people at this shoot-around type practice. I go, this is just crazy, you know. And so from that standpoint, it was, it was really fun and exciting to be part of how do you uh, how do you temper yourself in the moment 
Uh, there's a couple of ways to go at that. I, first off, let's talk about it from the prep side. Like, it's got to be overwhelming. Uh, do you approach it any differently than if you were calling, you know, Wichita State, Illinois State, or or uh, there's so much information out there and so many things you can do um, to make it feel like a bigger deal. Or there's so many different storylines. How do you hone that all down into just what you need for two hours? Well, I, th I think that... Uh it's kind of like anything else. I always try to gather as much information as I can that might be pertinent. And, and I find that typically I don't use sometimes even half of what I prepared. You like to have stuff prepared for any possible situation. And sometimes, and, and I don't think, I don't like you got some great little nugget that you really want to use. But if it doesn't apply to this particular game, just save it, you know, it, it, sit on it. Will, it. it will to yeah. another. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so... I, I would I didn't really prepare any differently than you know than any other game other than you've just got some some background of how did they get here who did they beat you know what have been significant steps to get here who stepped up that maybe's been a surprise those kinds of things but but no um, honestly when you get down to it it's just another game that you get ready for the same way did you realize you were in the Georgia Dome once it tips off or at some point does the I'm in a football stadium fade away and you just kind of once the ball goes up, to an extent, you can get lost in what you do every game. Well, certainly from a description standpoint, yes, but you never lose the feel of how massive everything is around you. It's You're, you're obviously in a, a huge environment, and uh, the, the thing that was cool about that was that Wichita State played so well against Louisville that that you didn't feel like it was too big a stage for them at some point. You knew they could handle it. You knew they were going to be in the game, but but you certainly were aware of, of what was around you. It's one of those things where I'm sitting here at 31 with a much different perspective where if Ball State were to make a run to the Final Four, like I'd be hyped out of my mind for that. Uh, you've obviously been around more, so you've got a different perspective on it. Um, but how did you temper yourself to to be able to call a normal game and not hit it. and But it's at the same time, like every bucket does mean something different, but you don't want to make it sound like it's like game seven of the World <laughs> Series every single time someone hits a layup. No, but but you do. I mean, there is definitely that. I have this nervous habit. I jiggle my leg up and down when I'm excited, and I know it was going 100 miles an hour the whole game. It, it just, it, every yeah, you do. I mean, uh, you do have, uh, to some degree, a sense that every, every basket is important. And, uh, you know, it had been a long time between successes for Wichita State and and I had once once Greg Marshall got the program going I started thinking about what if that would ever happen what what if Wichita State would ever get to a final four whatever what would I say and that's the only the only time I've ever in some ways or in some sense planned anything I was going to say I just had that in the back of my mind that this is this is what it would kind of feel like to me and it just happened to work out because the way the game ended it was you know if it had been a last second shot then you just you go crazy and you do what you normally do in that situation but it was it was a chance to to say what I had thought about so that was kind of cool and then we go to the break right after the game and I'm sitting there with my two partners, and we're looking at each other. I'm going, we're going to the Final Four. I mean, do you, do you realize we are going to the freaking Final Four? <laughs> just, yeah, I mean, it, that, that part was just 
almost otherworldly to be sitting there and realize that's where you are. How much did you put in? How much time went into this is what I want to say? And how much did you overthink it? Ah, that sounds a little hokey. Maybe if I did this. Um, and, and I mean, obviously you said it worked out quite well. What did you think afterward when you said, you know what, I'm, I'm glad I thought about that ahead of time? It was kind of fleeting. It was just like, I think I would say something like this. And then it turned out that's that's what I said. And, yeah, it felt it felt right. It felt good that, you know, uh, what I said was, if you want to know, was, ladies and gentlemen, say it slowly and savor it. Wichita State is going to the Final Four for the first time in 48 years. And that, that's, to me, that was the thought that you gotta, you got to appreciate what this is. this is. This is something really special that may never happen again. What's working with Greg Marshall like? For the most part, really good. He is a pretty media savvy guy. So. He is, and he is one of the most candid coaches you could ever want to work with. But like all coaches, he's he's going to be a little moody and out of sorts if the team's not playing well. And, and uh, so you just have to kind of understand he can be a little difficult sometimes, uh, like any coach. It's, if you just lost the last game and two days later you're back on the court, the pregame show is going to be a little touchier than, than if they're really rolling. And this year's been tough for him because this team is so young and he's having to do so much just – rudimentary teaching that you don't normally have to do with a, a program like this uh, but he's he he is and he a lot of times he can be really funny he's bright he's articulate and so I mean all in all it's it's he's been really good to work with and uh, and sometimes if he is a little testy he'll kind of He'll kind of realize it. He'll kind of let you know. Yeah, you know, I was probably not in a very good mood or whatever. <laughs> but but no, I mean he and he. Uh, you you kind of learn with all coaches that there's certain kinds of questions you just don't ever ask. You know, you're going into a tournament and you could play one team or another. You know, which of those would you rather play? I mean, that kind of Is stuff. This a must-win game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, and and you know, like with most with most coaches after a loss you kind of you ask a couple of questions that give them an opportunity to say what they want to say and their explanation for why things went the way they did and uh and he's better than most about that i mean you but you don't sometimes you don't want to push it beyond a certain point of really trying to get down well was that really a good decision to i mean that kind of stuff i'm not a coach and it's certainly not you know I'm not going to pretend my judgment's better than his about what play should have run there. I want to ask you about some of the other work you do as well because you mentioned earlier on that uh, you also do volleyball, you also do baseball. That has to be the only job in the country that is the basketball, baseball, volleyball broadcaster, uh, which is a cool, unique mix. <laughs> I wonder. I, yeah, I don't know. It could <laughs> be, I suppose. You've done the Final Four. You've also done the College World Series. Yes. What's that environment like? Tremendous. It's really exciting and fun to be part of. And uh, we have not been back since they've been in the new ballpark. We have played in that park against Creighton, and the Missouri Valley Tournament was there one year. It's a, it's a beautiful facility from a convenient standpoint for the fans. It certainly has some advantages. But I really miss Rosenblatt and the atmosphere. That was, that was truly unique. You had 12-year-old kids parking cars in their yard, you know, and, and, and saying, this is the best parking place in town. I know I've been doing this since I was seven, you know, just that kind of stuff. And the little local 
places close to the ballpark and all those kinds of things were all part of the experience and and that's something you know that's that's something that's pretty unique because it's been in the same city forever and there's no other NCAA championship that I know of that's like that and so you you know if you go a time or two people develop their favorite places they develop a feel for the city and the people there are just tremendous so yeah that's a that's something you'd wish for everybody to experience at some point if they do college baseball. I know Major League Baseball at one point was the the dream for you. What is it about baseball on the radio that is just so attractive to you? For me, it's just something I grew up with. It was just part of my youth, and, and summer evenings you sat around or you're out messing around the yard, but you're listening to a ball game, and you just... Uh, I don't know. It was just they were always kind of together for me, and uh, and so I just I still appreciate it and still love baseball on the radio. Well, and it is the most storytelling medium of anything that you can do broadcast-wise. Do you enjoy the fact that when we talked about preparation off the top of this, it really gives you the opportunity to introduce these these kids, these student athletes, to the people? Sure. Listening? Yeah, and and it's also it's it's unique in that. Every game has a different flow and rhythm to it because of the pitcher and how fast he works. And you start to get a feel for how much time you have between pitches. Some nights it's not very much. And those are my favorites, the guys that really work fast. But some nights you can get a lot of stuff in between pitches. and uh, Or there may be a lot of pitches because they're walking the park. And so it, it's unique in that sense. But College also, baseball, you never know. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm a stat guy, and there's a stat for everything in baseball. And, and what I like to do with stats is use them to illustrate a point you're trying to make or why things are going the way they are. And baseball certainly offers you that. And it's really easy to get too wonky with that and get in the weeds. How do you walk that line that you can help paint that picture while not getting too, too numbery, if that makes sense? I, I hope that you just sort of develop a sense on your own of, of uh, what's too much and, and uh, you know, where you'd almost think, oh, this is I, I wouldn't even want to hear this much. I, I absolutely love Vin Scully, and one of the things that I've you know, talked about, the developments in our, our industry, uh, being able to get Major League games on Sirius XM and listen to all the Major League broadcasters has been great. And I never got to hear him very much until I had that opportunity. And you talk about a great storyteller and a guy that can interweave a story in between pitches. But one night, somebody was wearing 13, and he will launch into this whole thing about how people generally think 13 is an unlucky number, but there are lots of reasons to believe it's a lucky number, and he's into treasury bills. And, yep. all. and finally, I'm going, Vin, this is too much even for me. <laughs> I think you've gone a little too far. I actually remember that because uh, <laughs> I think I had read about that too because uh, somebody did a write-up on, on like breakdowns that Vin can do. Um, and Use him as an example. What is it about the way that, that he weaves stories? What is it the way about that people weave stories how do you successfully do that in a baseball game uh, I, I think part of it is just uh, if, if it's something you think people will enjoy either find amusing or find interesting and uh, and then it's just honestly it's just doing enough baseball to develop a sense of how to to get a story in without missing pitches and, and forcing it in yeah. and, like, and, and fi finding your in to get it there and that's the other thing about doing baseball i think more than any other sport that i've done certainly baseball takes some doing 
to to get the the feel for all of that and and the feel for the time element and it, it used to be I mean for a long time I'd go from basketball to baseball and the first few baseball games it was kind of like getting back you know in the rhythm a little bit because I hadn't done it for a year now I've gotten to the point where I've done it long enough that it's pretty it's easier to kind of get back into it and, and pick it up right away what do you read um, <laughs> when it comes to prep uh, not just like game related but particularly with baseball because it allows you to storytell and divert away from the teams in particular or find a way to relate to other things that are happening. Uh, what are the things that you take in and consume so that you, you've got some outside perspectives and you see some other cool stories? Um, how do you prepare along that line? Some of it uh, may have to do with, you know, like who Wichita State has played and how they're doing or, or the team you're playing, maybe somebody they've played and things that happened involving them. Uh, sometimes, you know, you I keep track of, of what our former players are doing that might be in the major leagues or the minor leagues because people are always curious about that. Sometimes there's an appropriate place to insert that kind of stuff. And, and then, you know, maybe sometimes just... Uh, also, I think, you know, as you're maybe you're in your non-conference schedule, you start, you keep track of what the other teams in your conference are doing and what's what's the conference race going to look like once we get to that point. Just anything like that that's, that's related in some way. Let me ask about volleyball, too. Uh, again, we said there are not a lot of... How many, how many games do you do where there's an opposing radio announcer? In volleyball? Yeah. Not many. <laughs> uh, and actually, it was interesting. In the Missouri Valley Conference, there were more, for whatever reason, than there have been in other places I've been. Um, it was helpful, though, be the, because I had no knowledge of the sport from a technical standpoint, from a strategy standpoint. You know, I'd watched it some, and I, I loved the sport. And, you know, I knew I would recognize just a hustle play or a really athletic play, but as far as whether somebody was in the right place and terminology that helps you get, get it out faster. And we were in uh, Hawaii for a tournament, and Hawaii actually had a match with UCLA before the tournament started. And we'd been to the beach and were listening to it as we were going back to the hotel, and their guy had done volleyball for a long time. And... He had a couple of terms, a way of expressing things. I thought, wow, that's a whole lot easier. There's a term in volleyball, pipe set. That's a ball set in the middle of the back row. Well, pipe set's a whole lot easier than saying set to the middle of the back row, you yeah. know, that kind of stuff. And so that the guy in Louisville helped me a little bit my first couple of years with that. But uh, there aren't that many, that you know, out there doing it. And it uh, it's something that really takes a lot of practice. Do you enjoy that part of it because it's a little bit different? I do. I, I like the I like the game itself. It's a fast, athletic game, um, and then it's the only. I did a little bit of women's basketball, not too much, but I, I kind of like being around the female student athletes. Just it's as different. A little different yeah. perspective. Although I will tell you, the the ones that I've worked with in the volleyball program, they're just as serious about their sport. They absolutely work as hard and care as much about it. But once they're on the bus or whatever, they're they're girls. It's different than guys <laughs> a little bit, and that's kind of fun. It's been fun to have those relationships. That's a hard sport to call too, because it can turn you into a typewriter, can it? Sure. Where it's just, you know. Set, swing, dig, set, swing, dig, set, swing, kill. There's no time for storytelling. There's not a lot of time to do anything off ball. Is that hard to not just be basically a machine gun of information there? A little bit, although you find that, that even just in the once a point is you know once a point is scored especially if you if you side out and so the you know you're changing you're rotating and so you're changing setters I mean uh, changing servers then 
there is a little bit of opportunity. And even sometimes there's even enough time in between points to, to say she's now seven kills, no errors, and 11 chances. Or, you know, you can, there's, there are opportunities to slip little things like that in there. Well, Mike, uh, I'm taking you. We've got 8.50 left in the first half of this game, and I've got to prepare for yours coming up. Uh, I appreciate you spending some time with us and, uh, and lending some wisdom. Uh, if people want to find you, if they want to listen to, to the Shockers or track you down on social media, how do they do that? GoShockers.com uh, has a link to the broadcast, and so that's, that's probably the easiest way. And that's the site for Wichita State that has all the other stats and information too. But, but as far as wisdom, I, I hope so. I hope I've gained some over the years. But always fun to talk about what we do, and it's, uh, I've always said it's a lot better than working. It's, just a, it's a great profession to be in. It's... Uh, you know, if you love sports and you weren't good enough to be a major league player, it's probably the next best thing you could possibly do. All right, that's Mike Kennedy joining us here from Wichita State, the four-decade voice of the Shockers. Next week's guest, I don't want to make any promises, but I feel pretty good about it. Um, we'll leave you up with that tease. It's a guest a long time coming. Looking forward to next Friday, and we hope to see you here then on pxp cast until that time my name is joel gadette thanks as always for the subscribe the stream the download the rating or review please do throw some stars a rating or a review our way if you get an opportunity uh certainly appreciate it going forward uh, again for mike kennedy my name is joel gadette this is pxp cast and we are out and that will do it from st louis where the score is inconclusive